The content of this podcast is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any financial instrument. The views and opinions expressed are provided for general information purposes only. Hi, I'm James Riney. Welcome to the Coral Capital Podcast, a show about startups and technology with a focus on Japan and Asia broadly. Hi, this is Ken. So today's guest is Takahu Mikurahashi. Taka is COO at SmartHR. SmartHR is one of the unicorn companies in Japan that provides HR SaaS. Taka is a Harvard Business School graduate, and he's worked for companies like McKinsey and Rakuten. At the time he joined SmartHR in 2017, the company was still quite small, and the startup ecosystem in Tokyo was still in the nascent state, too. It was pretty uncommon for someone like Taka to join a new startup back then. So today, we are going to unlevel his journey and his vision for the future. What he has gone through so far is also indicative of the growth of both SmartHL, the company, and the ecosystem. And as a matter of fact, I've been quite lucky to be a part of the journey as an investor and a board member at SmartHR. So for this episode, I'm going to be both a host and a speaker. All right, let's dive into it. Taka, welcome to the Coral Capital Podcast. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me today. So, everyone in Japan knows SmartHR, obviously, but I, we also have international listeners. And so,、mm-hmm. I thought it would be good to start with just a three minute summary of what SmartHR is. Sure. So,、uh, SmartHR is probably one of the biggest HR SaaS companies in Japan. We provide HR SaaS. What we don't do is we don't provide payroll or attendance management, which are like the well established HR system market. What Smart HR provides is everything else in the HR space, starting from collecting basic HR information for new joiners, handling the social security management stuff, handling the year end tax adjustments, what else? Performance review management, employee survey, et cetera, et cetera. So, Anything that happens between employees and the HR departments, besides attendance management and payroll, is what we provide. And one characteristic of Smart HR is that we have a very、uh, wide range of customer base, customer segments. From an industry standpoint, our customers range from IT to all the way to like, the public sector. And also, in terms of customer size, Our smallest customer only has a few employees, whereas our biggest customers have hundreds of thousands of employees, which is probably very rare in terms of like HR SaaS player who has a wide range of coverage in terms of customer segment. But we have that like unique feature because our offerings are not tied to payroll or attendance managers, both of which tend s to be very specific, say. To like industries or the size of the companies. Right. So, what, what you guys do is pretty much ubiquitous across all companies in Japan, which is why it's such an enormous opportunity, which I think is actually a good segue because, Taka, we at the board meetings, we call you MBA. <laughs> so, and you are like, you make former McKinsey, Harvard MBA, working at Akuten under Mikitani san, doing MA and in, in investment. I mean, like, you could have pretty much any job in the world. Why did you choose SmartHR at the time that you did? You know, at the time, ARR was what, 1 million ARRs? Yeah, yeah. right before yeah. You know, ARR, 1 million target. Back then,、uh, it was like five years ago. SmartHR only had 20 to 30 employees, and that's when I joined. And the reason why I joined SmartHR is that, first of all, I was looking for a startup job.、Um, 
towards the end of my career at Rakuten, I was assigned to a new business inside Rakuten, which I enjoyed a lot. And that's why I became so deeply committed to new businesses. And I wanted to put myself in the startup world. So I used all my networks, got a lot of offers, fortunately. And I shortlisted the offers to like three companies. And I personally signed NDAs to do my business due diligence, bidding my life as the investment. And my <laughs> HR was the greatest. Two reasons for that. One was the business side and the other one is the cultural side. So from the business standpoint, Smart HR back then, although the ARR was a little bit shy of 1 million, we already had a great product that allows our customers to make the burdensome social security paperwork very efficient. And our customers loved it. This was a great entry point because all the corporations in Japan are legally obliged to file these social security paperwork, which Smart HR provided a great solution to. So we already saw like a decent win at that moment, a very good TAM, good market. But more than that, there was this great byproduct of those social security paperwork handling, which is the HR data. Because whenever an employee joins a company or leaves the company or have a new family member, et cetera, et cetera, all, for all of those occasions, the social security filings are necessary. And by smart HR, making those processes efficient, there will be this great, always up-to-date HR database on the cloud, uh, on SmartHR. And at that moment, uh, already back then, we were imagining that this data that gets automatically updated by following the legal requirements will be a great stepping stone to the next business. So back then, I, I could already see like a decent win plus a great stepping stone to aim for a big, really big win in Japan. So that was the reason one, number one. Uh, reason number two is the culture. I love the culture of smart HR, which might be very rare for a startup, uh, especially in Japan. Uh, we have a very commitment to delegating our work. So our founder, who was the CEO back then, he's a very um, laid back person. He's very good at uh, delegating his, his work to others. And I loved it. I am a little bit selfish, but I don't want to be, so I don't want to be micromanaged and I don't want to micromanage myself as well. And SmartHR allowed me to work in the manner that I wanted to. So I loved it. And so for, for those two reasons, I joined SmartHR. Interesting. So uh, a little bit relevant question from my side. Did it ever occur to you that you started your own business, your, your own company, your own startup on your own as a founder? Yes. Once in my career, I was thinking of starting my company on my own, but, and actually did some planning as well, but I came to the conclusion that I'm not a zero one person, so to say, I'm not good at initiating a new idea. I might be too logical, given my background, <laughs> uh, but I was relatively um, good at uh, doing, moving one to 10 or 10 to 100. Those were the fields that I, I felt confident. Okay. So I chose rather to join an early uh, startup. It makes so much sense, judging from what we have been hearing, you know, about you and your operation and how you organize things and structure. So could you talk a little bit about the past five years since you joined? Uh, because you have seen lots of changes and initiated changes in organization. And so what's like changed the most and what hasn't like culture and structure business? 
I'd love to give the audience a little bit more context. So Taka literally is probably the best operator that I've ever seen ever <laughs> like, you know, in Japan. Really, I really mean that. Just the level of detail and accuracy of projections and execution after that is just second to none. And so with that in mind, it's been a hell of a ride since you joined. So we'd love to sort of like unpack what went on uh, behind the scenes. Sure. So in the past five years, I cannot speak of the revenue side, but in terms of like employee numbers, it's been 20x since I joined the company. And we've seen a lot of growth, good growth, basically. I'll first talk about things that didn't change. What didn't change that much is the culture. We still remain the early startup culture that we should keep on taking more challenges all the time and also to de delegate our work all the time. That remains the same. On the other side, operational or organizational wise, of course, we became big and we became complicated. So back then, when I joined, there were only like 20, 30 people. Everyone knew what everyone else was doing. And whenever there was a new initiative, it was very e easy to initiate that project and to proceed with the project because everyone knew each other and everyone knew how to involve and how to proceed. That was very easy. As we grew, our organization got complicated and we do have some very well-defined and fine-tuned process for our mainstream business. But at the same time, we're still evolving and we're still taking on new challenges. So there's a mix in our operation. There is this well-established operation which we know how to win. And there are new challenges that we are taking, new initiatives that we are still working on, which is very half-baked or raw at this moment. Everything changes. Um, things move a lot every time. And these don't go well together. A well-established, solid operation for established business flow and a new business flow for new business opportunity. This mix is getting more difficult and difficult as we evolve. But thanks to our culture, which celebrates challenge and encourages taking risks, we are somehow managing it with the great leaderships of our team members. Okay, great. You, you already addressed both what changed and what hasn't. So with that, uh, I'm going to change gears a little bit from here. So you guys, James and Taka, both were involved with a relatively huge, I would say huge, 3 d round uh, for a Japanese startup, you know, which was last year at uh, 140 million US dollars from investors, including foreign investors like uh, Light Street Capital and Sequoia Capital Global Equities and Greyhound Capital, great investors from outside, which was relatively new for a Japanese startup as well. So can you too uh, elaborate on this deal? How did it come about? And also what was the challenge? Maybe James, you can go first. Yeah, sure. So to be honest, for this round, I was not that involved just because the numbers spoke for themselves. And there were already a lot of investors from outside Japan buzzing around SmartHR. It was so competitive that I was getting a message like every month or so of, from someone wanting to somehow get into the round or like uh, acquire our, our stake in the company, you know, which is very flattering, but we were not interested in selling at all. <laughs> and so I guess it would be, it would make more sense to rewind to when we invested, when it was like very early. And, uh, you know, we, we had very, very strong conviction that this was like a, going to be a category 
uh, leader, one of the few unicorns in Japan. And we had a similar train of thought. We weren't betting our lives on it to the extent that Taka was, but we set up an SBV that's fully concentrated into leading and investing the entire Series B round into Smart HR. And it was early on in our careers. So if that didn't work out, I don't know that we'd still be VCs. <laughs> so in some sense, we did better, better lives on it as well. And, but then after that, I, I say this with like full sincerity, Taka joining and just like being just a ruthless, like executor, getting to that T2D3 momentum was incredibly valuable and apparent as soon as he joined. And so as soon as that happened, getting to the series C, when you need to raise much bigger rounds domestically, it's very hard to do. So there's not that many players, at least at the time that would be able to invest, let's say like 10 million, 20 million, 30 million plus. And when we would talk to investors outside Japan, a lot of them would say, we'll do minimum 30 million. And so when you're raising like 60 million as they were in the series C, it was really important and much faster to consider global investors. And so we were involved in that fundraise to some extent, introducing some of the, the key names that I won't name here just because some of it we didn't accept, <laughs> but some of the names like anyone on listening to this podcast, I'm sure would know. And so uh, that journey has been incredible in the sense that SmartHR was like this no-name company that nobody knew, particularly outside Japan. And then all of a sudden, of course, everyone in Japan knew, but even investors outside Japan that invest in some of the best SaaS companies in the world were banging on our doors to, to invest in the company. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add that. First of all, Series B, led by James, creating an SBB only for ourselves, was a very helpful um, and very exciting moment back then because our team was still small and like the leadership team including myself wanted to focus on business growth operational side rather than the fundraising side and then james suggested that maybe we can form an SPV for us and as a culture we like to try new things like SPV for startups that sounds new that sounds exciting so we gave it a shot james did a great job he finished that round for on behalf of us thanks james and we could focus on the business growth, or I could focus on the business growth side. And get, that gave us the momentum to go on to the Series C, which is the first time we started to seriously have like global investors on our back. Was there any difficulties back then in Series C? Not much, probably thanks to the SaaS business, the nature of SaaS business. As James said, numbers speaks for themselves. And I cannot say much, but Smart HR's KPIs are really good. They're really good. So global investors, even without knowing the Japanese um, industry or the market's condition, uh, SaaS figures are quite, quite straightforward. Our momentums was enough to convince them to join our Series C. And that momentum continued on to Series C. So we didn't have that much of a challenge to have a global investors supporting us. But there was one thing that we did um, right after Series C, which is to form an IR team, investor relationship team within us, which is pretty rare for a private company, party startup in Japan. And during the Series C, sort of, I was the bottleneck, like speaking to the global investors myself. But when it comes to Series D, we wanted to talk with more investors, but I personally had to, or was better to focus on the operational side. So we hired two people in IR, IR, both of them are very talented, and one of them 
who's now our head of finance in IR, speaks good English. So for Series D, he did all the investor relationships, investor meetings for us. And that's why we could have a great range of investors who were thinking of investing into Smart HR in our Series D. That's great. I, I suppose、uh, Smart HR has become one of the Uh, most well-known startup companies in Japan and、uh, even outside Japan, but you guys have been interacting with、uh, foreign investors. What what is the、uh, the most、uh, typical question you get asked from those foreign investors? That for maybe Japanese audience, it may be obvious, but not as obvious or self-evident from outside. What、uh, global investors should know about Japanese SaaS companies in general? Yes, one thing is the. Is around questions around competitions. Of course, when investing, it is natural for investors to think about the competitive landscape, the weight that's、uh, put onto like questions around competition was much higher from the global investors compared to the domestic Japanese investors, and I think that's because the level of competition is very different among the startups. If you compare to Japan and say like the U.S. or China, it's much peaceful here in Japan. <laughs> Ironic, but thanks to the like the cultural character of Japanese people,、yeah. who、mm. tends to avoid risks,、mm. which is good for、yeah. startups like us. Yeah, so that's one of sort of the the hidden truths about startup investing in Japan is that when you invest in the U.S. Yeah, the winner might be a multi multi decacorn. That's true, but that company is also going to have twenty other similar companies with like Formula, Googlers, and Stripe, and Mafia, and all kinds of like really smart people also working on it. And so the competition is like really fierce. Whereas in Japan, if you have a dream team together and you have a huge opportunity in front of you, as long as those two things are checked off. There's not going to be that much competition. Like maybe there's one other team or two other teams, and considering the size of the Japanese market, you can like work together. In fact, Smart HR even connects to some of the other players that provide similar services. And so, as as、uh, Taka was saying, it's very much、uh, a peaceful environment when you compare it to、uh, U.S. and certainly China. Very interesting. Very interesting. So, is there anything you learned uh, from uh, work, working with、uh, foreign investors, like product strategy management or even mindset so far? Yes, especially on the mindset side. So, I won't forget my first meeting with Garav from Lightspeed Capital. I think he was the first guest of this Coral Podcast series. I first talked with him when we were planning for our Series C, and actually Lightspeed joined our Series C. And that day it was like the investor day, and I had a lot of meetings with like domestic Japanese investors. And at last, I had、uh, this meeting with Garab from Lightspeed Capital. And before that meeting, like all the investors were saying, like, "Hey, the numbers look great, but when are you going to be profitable?" That kind of questions were the questions that I was getting. But Garab first said, "Like, why aren't you investing more?" That was his question, and he was like straightforward. Our LTV cap was. Very high, too high. Yeah, it was like nine or something. It was right, something right, ridiculous. Right, right. <laughs>、yeah. right. And his, his point was like, if you're that efficient and the market is still like wide open, there's blue ocean in front of you, you should invest more and don't care about profitability. Become big was his message, straightforward. And that was a very eye-opening、um, opportunity for me because basically working in Japan, working with Japanese investors, people do think about like profitability. A lot, probably more than like global investors. As one of the leaders, 
in the in the startup company, I started to think that I should also think about like profitability relatively early on. But the global investors, because they have a big pocket and they've been used to like huge win or nothing environment, they encourage us to like really go big and don't care about like small money right in front of you. That mindset was very encouraging and helpful, and also that resonated with our own like characteristics, our leadership team's characteristics to take risks, don't settle down quickly, always challenge, always take on new challenges, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that was a great moment to、um, switch my gear to like fully go after growth, and yeah, that was a great turning point, I think. Okay, so that I think that's a first of all shout out to Grav. Thank you for giving them more confidence there. And Grav, if you're listening, I love you. And so I think that's actually a good segue. So you you mentioned growth. Obviously, SmartHR has had a lot of it, but the、uh, the, the question is like the next phase of SmartHR. How are you going to get to a billion ARR? And for context, I truly believe that SmartHR has the potential to do a billion or more than that just domestically. And my thinking behind it is that Salesforce already does that in Japan with Salesforce Japan, and sales is ubiquitous across companies. And so HR is also ubiquitous. And obviously, there's other dynamics at play in terms of what the contract values are, but there's probably also a lot of expansion areas for smart HR. And I'm just curious to understand. Of course, we've talked about at board meetings, but is, if there's anything that you want to share about. How are you going to get to that billion ARR over the next three to five years? You know, whether that's through M and A or new businesses, walk us through that. Sure, I also believe that SmartHR can reach the billion ARR figures, even inside Japan. There are basically two big strategies around it. One is around adding new services or values. So we started off at the legally required social security processing within the HR space, and. and And as I mentioned,、uh, as a great byproduct, we have HR data that automatically gets updated on our cloud system. And using that, we are now moving on to our second pillar of business, which is around HR management, talent management area, which is not mandatory, which is not legally required. But recently, more and more Japanese companies are starting to seriously invest in because we have a, a declining worker population in Japan. And this business is growing very fast because we already have the fundamental HR data of our customer on our system. So it's very easy for our customers to add a talent management function inside SmartHR. So our talent management modules are selling really great, and this is becoming our second pillar of the business. We're going to continue this by adding the third, fourth, etc., etc. pillars. Because the HR market is so huge and it's wide, there are a lot that we haven't covered at this moment, and also the HR market is growing because HR is getting more and more important in Japan, where the working population is declining. So this will be、uh, one strategy to add more values, probably similar to Salesforce, where Salesforce first started at, with their sales cloud and they moved on to their marketing cloud or. Um, customer cloud, a customer success cloud, and now they're having their fourth pillar. And similar move, we're adding our second pillar, third pillar, pillar fourth pillar.、Mm. So that's、uh, one strategy. The second strategy is to create a moat for us, especially through network effect. Unfortunately, systems can be copied relatively easily, and 
because Smart HR is now well known in Japan, we do have a similar services that's gradually ramping up. Of course, we are doing much better than them, but there might be a time that there's going to be a few Smart HRs in the future. We don't want that to happen. So we're investing in the network effect a lot. As James mentioned slightly earlier, that like we get systemically connected, API connected, with even with our competitors. And that's very much strategic for us. We want to create this network. And we're now creating an app store, pretty similar to app exchanges, Salesforce, where other system providers or even like an independent um, system vendors can easily develop and launch their apps on SmartHR. We believe that we finally reached the size that makes this app store successful. And we're not thinking of creating direct revenues out from this app store. Rather than that, we just want to focus on the network effect that we can get from here. Luckily, we have more than half of the market share at this moment, which means that for external system providers, it makes a lot of sense to get connected to SmartHR. And we don't intend to take their business. We just want them to create networks with us. And that will make us very unique in the near future. And that will become probably become a great moat for us. So yeah, you, you, you mentioned HR management, but I actually look at SmartHR as more than that, more like employee management. And with the employee data, there are so many expansions that you can get into that you might not have originally thought about when you first looked at SmartHR. So for example, if you are looking at you know, the employee data and because of regulations, this is the most up-to-date and accurate that you can possibly get because the employees are updating it uh, themselves. And with that in mind, I mean, you know, for example, you know, someone's salary, like life events, like if they got married or something and at each stage, they might have different things that they want to do, whether that be go into a different insurance plan, or maybe they need some other financial services or some other thing that is happening in their life that requires uh, some support. And um, so I really look at it as you have this like enormous opportunity just in the SaaS part where every company in Japan is going to need this. And at the same time, you have all this expansion opportunity from the employee event data where you can go into like fintech. You know, we used to joke that SmartHR is like a hidden fintech company, you know, uh, employee wellness. That's also a big category globally. And when I look at SmartHR, I also like to benchmark the company in the US called Rippling, right? Where they're doing like multi-product strategy, expanding to lots of different categories. And, and I think that's where the, the big opportunity is for SmartHR over the next like three to five years. So obviously I'm very excited. I, I totally agree that we do have this potential to go to B2B2E, business to business to employee market as well. And that's in our mind as well. It's, it's great to have this uh, network effect in mind and have a mode where you have authentic employee data updated all the time on a regular basis. But there could be uh, competitors, as you mentioned, in multiple smart HRs, and this is not the future you want, is like in the future, it's M&A, an option, it's just you know, great to have an ecosystem where you know, everyone can tap into the smart HL data and utilize the data to do something, a small function. But what if some formidable competitor comes along and do something really interesting and be- become big? In, in, in my understanding, in the Japanese startup ecosystem, we haven't seen big M&As so far, but is this going to change? And are you interested in acquiring companies, maybe other startup companies in the future? Yeah. Yes, I'm very open 
to MNAs? As, well, to be more specific, probably not a direct competitors who copied SmartHR. We are confident that we can beat straightforward, like head-to-head uh, battle. We can uh, defeat that. But more than that, startups, there are startups in the adjacent markets related to HR or related to like employee wellness or related to fintech that's uh, deeply connected to like employment. So in those areas where we don't have the deep insights or even products, there are like lots of younger startups out there who probably go well along with smart HR. So we're very much interested in doing M&As and joining forces with them to become a much more robust and value-adding platform together. Taka, this is not on the docket, but I'm going to ask you and okay. see what happens. <laughs> you can head out later. <laughs> so recently there was a CEO change, right? Obviously. So Miyata-san, founder and CEO, switched with Serizawa-san, the CTO, yes. and they're very different leaders. And I'd love to hear from your perspective from working with both of them. How are they different? Sure, sure. In my opinion, they're not that much different. Of course, there are some differences, but first, they are very similar in terms of the leadership style. Both of them are not micromanagers. They're like hands-off type of managers, and they both are good at delegating work. So that point is very similar. They both have high commitment to culture and preserving culture. So that point is the same as well. So from my perspective, like the CEO's perspective, my life hasn't changed that much given the full responsibility and direct to run the business side, which is still the same. And our founder, Miyata-san, is still on the board. So our board meeting hasn't changed at all. That's true. I've noticed it hasn't changed that much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So there's not much of a big change at this moment. Of course, there are some small differences of which one is Miyata-san was more like a gifted person, so to say. He was good at like, uh, both of them are good at learning things, but Miyata-san was more like a gifted person. He sensed it. He had a great, great sensing power and he got it right away when he uh, faced a new issue or new potential. Whereas Miyata-san is a person who puts more efforts, who studies a lot. So ever since he it was decided that the next CEO is going to be Serizawa-san, who used to be a CTO, he's been learning a lot about the business side, the financial side, et cetera, et cetera. And he's a very fast learner. That style is very different. So I guess in, uh, in English, the way that you would describe it was um, Miyata-san is more someone that moves from the gut, mm-hmm. right? Whereas Serizawa-san is more someone that likes to consume lots of information before making a decision. And that's, that's quite different, which I actually think that is very much aligned with different phases in the company. So in the early days, obviously, there's not much to go off of. It's just going to have to trust your gut. Right. Whereas when you're a huge organization like SmartHR is uh, becoming, that is helpful sometimes. In other cases, it's actually harmful. Right. So you do want to have the balance. So it makes sense that at this stage, the city's Allison style would make sense as long as you still keep the essence of going with the gut on some decisions. And also it's good to have Miyata-san still in our company starting a new um, business line by himself, which his guts fits well. And that is related to FinTech. So I have like high expectation on it as well. Me too. Yeah. 
Okay, cool. Yeah, Taka, this has been really great uh, to have you on this podcast. I've been wanting to do this for a while. So I'm glad we could finally get this on the docket here. And uh, is there anything that you want to share with the audience uh, before we sign off here? Yeah, just, just a little bit of recap. Japan is still the third largest economy in the world. Startup competition is relatively peaceful compared to that in the US and China. And another thing is that Japanese SaaS penetration is like five years behind what happened in the US. So we're still in a very early stage in terms of SaaS penetration, which is great news for us because we have lots of gross paths to go. And I believe that this market is a very, I won't say easier, but a more high chance market to invest in. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Taka. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me today.